42nd episode of Rappers at Sports Talk. Wherever you are, wherever you might be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, JCU Radio, JCU, WJCU. Host Daryl Delane always being recorded from Buffalo, New York. Amherst, to be specific. We have a great podcast for you. You're going to have Kenny Simon for the really duration. We're going to talk a lot about NFL free agency. We're going to go over our reactions. Also, you know, I'm going to get in a little bit of the Belichick Brady dynamic, a little bit of other really interesting tidbits, really interesting stuff. And then at the tail end, we're going to talk about NFL draft scouting and get into this year's offensive line class. So that'll do. Here's my interview with me and Kenny Sim. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim with us. How you doing, Kenny? Good, man. Good to be back in the barbershop, Daryl. I had a great time last week, a couple of times, so I'm looking forward to having a good chat tonight, talking about some football again. And, uh, Kenny, last time I had you on the podcast, we got, got to a little bit of draft stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later, and we talked about free agency and kind of previewed free agency a little bit, and... One of the big questions we had and where we're going to start is, you know, what's going to happen with Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, there's been rumors swirling about their issues. The Seth Wickersham report, I think we've talked about this on multiple occasions, about how that uh, bomb kind of dropped on the NFL world a couple of years ago. And it's kind of all come to bear. Tom Brady leaves the New England Patriots, signs of Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How shocked were you when you heard the news? Yeah, I was pretty shocked, um Actually, I went back. I, I I went back and I listened to our last pod, and I had them actually. I I had Tom Brady. I think I tagged him in the last segment to the Raiders. Actually, um, it was looking more and more when he became a free agent that he was going to leave the Patriots, going somewhere. Not sure where. Um, so you you know the Chargers were set up pretty good for Tom Brady. Titans, I thought the Titans were the best bet going to the AFC title game last year, having a strong run game and having Gray, his boys, the head coach there. Um, but Tampa really wasn't at the forefront of it, so I was pretty surprised that he was going to Tampa. Now, when he was deciding between, I think, the two teams he was looking for, um, he definitely wasn't going back to the Patriots. Um, I, 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 I think some of those issues that him and Belichick had, I think, he just wanted something new at the end of the day. So I think the teams that, uh, the two teams that he was looking at strongly at the Chargers and, and the Bucks. So I was surprised he went to the Bucks. However, when I started to look at it closer and closer, from a football standpoint, 
I think him going to the Bucks might be better than the Patriots because you look at how they're set up. He has a he has a um, a head coach that's going to be a little bit a little bit loose. He's going to let Tom kind of contribute more to the game plan, kind of have more of a voice, kind of be himself more. But uh, he's a cool cat. I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Bruce Arians going way back almost 20 years for when he coached up Peyton Manning. Uh, the receivers, uh, Bruce Arians had Jameis Winston last year, big arm throwing the ball down the field. But he's gonna, but, but Bruce Arians adapts to what he has. So I think you know it's not just gonna be 50 yard bombs to Mike Evans and Chris Goodwin. He's gonna mix it up. So he has two great receivers. He has O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray. Tom Brady knows something about that going back with uh, with the two tight end set that New England did time and time again. Got a decent offensive line. And then he has a young defense with Todd Bowles, uh, the number one run defense in the NFL last year with Sue, Vita Vey, Shaq Barrett, Devontae David, Devin White, the fifth pick in the draft last, last year. Uh, really young secondary, too. So it's really set up good for him. Um, so I, I, I think it might take some time to mesh, but ultimately um, this Buck team is a, you know, I peg them about, you know, an over-under about 10 wins, 11 wins last, uh, for, for this year. Um, I definitely think they're a playoff team and they're going to make some noise when the playoffs begin next year. Okay, now here's where I first want to start with this. When I first heard the news, my, my first thought was this, in terms of, and we'll start with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. My first thought, Kenny, was that I would say if I was in Vegas right now, a dark horse MVP favor would be Tom Brady. And I know he's 43 years old, but here's what I'm going to say. He's going to have Bates, who's a good tight end. Cameron Bates, good tight end. O.J. Howard, good tight end. Receivers, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. He has, he has weapons all around him. You mentioned the two tight end sets. He's going to have Bruce Arians, who I think you would agree with is widely regarded as one of the better offensive minds in football. He's going to play, and people don't realize this, he's going to play in Tampa, which is a lot better climate to play, you know, this high-flying passing game than in New England and Foxborough, Massachusetts. It's a lot easier to throw the ball downfield. It's going to be a lot easier for Brady. I think also the loosening up of the coaching, he's probably going to have more fun, and I think he's kind of motivated. So I'm just saying, I would not be surprised Remember a couple years ago when it was Breeze or Patrick Mahomes for MVP? I would not be surprised if Brady had that type of year. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I mean, I think he's got some gas in the tank still. I think, you know, last year Tom Brady, I mean, he was really he was really working with a patchwork skill guys around him, a patchwork offense. I mean, he's throwing, I mean, he, he's throwing to Edelman. Edelman only has about 100 catches left in his career. Uh, a big part of that passing game was James White too. Really, nothing on the outside. So he he he, he had a tough card that he was dealt. Um, so I think he's got some gas in the tank. I wouldn't say Tom Brady would come into a new situation and put up numbers like Peyton Manning had in 2013 when Peyton Manning went to the Broncos at 55 touchdowns. Um, I don't think it's going to be like that. But I think he's going to put up some gaudy numbers. I think. I mean, I don't. I mean. You know, 32 touchdowns, five picks, you know, upper four, 4,000 yards. I think he's a complete. I, I, I think Bruce Arians is going to put him up um, with a chance to have success in the passing game. They need a bat that can catch the ball out of the backfield. But once they get that, and I think they will. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he has about a 70% completion percentage. 
and moving the Bucks up from a team. I mean, the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks have always been one of the worst franchises in the NFL. I mean, they really haven't done anything since they won the Super Bowl. A couple of playoff appearances, one and out. So if he could revive that franchise, that's been one of the worst in the NFL. You know, going from seven wins to a playoff team, um, you could see how. You know, Bruce Arians would probably get some credit with adopting and stuff, but Tom Brady's going to get a lot of credit, too, and, you know, you can see how he could win the MVP. It's kind of hard for guys, like, I think there's some media fatigue in giving guys back-to-back MVPs, so I'm not sure where Lamar Jackson and Mahomes would stack it up, but, you know, if Brady has a really strong year, you know, he could get a strong, strong backing, a strong campaign behind him and make that push to an MVP. Possibly. Which now, might be his fifth, I think. His fourth or fifth, I'm not sure. Does he have three? Or maybe would it be his would it be his third or his fourth? Um No it would be uh, it would be his fourth. It would be his fourth. It would be his fourth. It would be four. It would be four. Oh seven. I think he won one in ten. And uh the the Flategate year. The Flategate year. He won MVP. If I'm yeah, yeah, he he won one in one of those Super Bowl runs. Like uh, yeah, so fifteen or sixteen, I think he did. Yeah, or so fifteen maybe. So yeah. yeah, so so he'd be up there for his fourth MVP. Now here's where I want to go with this. Uh, there are reports that potentially Antonio Brown could be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Tom Brady, for whatever reason, had Antonio Brown living in his house. I don't know why. Bruce Arians was a former coach for Antonio Brown in that Pittsburgh Steelers meeting room. What do you think the possibility of that happening is? Yeah, I don't think it's a strong possibility. Um, yeah, I just don't think it's a strong possibility. I think he's. I mean, Antonio Brown comes with a lot of baggage. Um, right now, currently constructed, you know, the Bucks have a good offense. They got a good team. I think they got some good chemistry to work with. Um, yeah, Brady and Brown like each other. Um, but Antonio Brown and the other like 50, 51 guy or 53 guys in the team now with the new rosters, 55. So with the, you know, the rest of the teammates, not sure how that would work, work out. He's really, um, he's really ended on bad terms about the last three or four years that he's been in the NFL. Um, I don't see, I, I mean, like obviously the wide receiver room would be crazy good um but ultimately i think you know having brady and kind of building some of those lines more would be you know a better allocation of resources would be more of a value and impact than adding another wide receiver there's only so much football that could go around so i don't i mean i would be i'd be pretty surprised if it happens and i'm not sure if it happens I'm not actually sure if Antonio Brown really, really wants to go back in the NFL and play football and work and buy into a culture either. Now, I, I do want to go back to New England because you mentioned this uh, a, l- a little bit while ago. You said that part of the reason you think Tom Brady left the Patriots, he left Belichick, he left Robert Kraft was he wanted uh, something new. So do you think it was more of that aspect, you know? You've been with somebody for 20 years, and you're like, okay, I need to experience something else. Or do you think there was actually real issues between Brady and Belichick in New England? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was a combination of both. I would have to say, if I, if, if, 
not like Conan on one. I would say it would be a new experience. So, you know, so, so, so when Tom Brady, you know, when Tom Brady retires and when Tom Brady goes into the Hall of Fame, he's going to have about a 20-second hug with Bill Belichick at the podium when he puts on that gold jet, jacket. Um, and they're going to embrace and smile. And there's a really good respect that goes within both Brady and Belichick. I mean, 20 years. Uh, with the free agency air, I don't think you'll ever see something like the Patriots again, uh, what they have accomplished. So there's a mutual respect between the two. So um, I don't think it's like, you know, animosity or just bitterness. Um, however, with that being said, I think Tom Brady, after so many years, got a little bit fed up with, you know, being coached up and treated the same way as the 53rd guy in the roster. And. You know, having after all those years, taking a lot of pay cuts, really taking below market deals over the years, and just being, and, and, and I think Tom Brady could have thought, like, you know, he's done all of this. He's covered up so many holes on that team and um, over the course of time that I think he thinks that he, he should have got a little bit more, more respect um, with what he's done than just being just another guy, just another cog that goes into that Patriots culture. Um, however, I think more so of the answer with that would be doing something new. And, and I think, you know, you know, just think about like your everyday life. Like if you do something time and time again, the same way, the same day, every single day for 20 years, when you do something new and you change it up, like those few days you're thinking, okay, this is pretty good. You know, maybe I like this routine better, uh, whatever it is in your life where you're thinking, Maybe, you know, going to this new team and seeing how they do something different from the Patriots, you know, I, I, I think that appealed to Tom Brady. I think he likes it. I think he thinks, you know, he just wants to experience something new, just something different to end his career with than doing the same thing over and over. So I think that would be something, um, I think that's something that appealed to him, and I think that's something that Tampa brought to the table that other teams couldn't. And ultimately, that's kind of what led him to, to Tampa, I think. Do you think that... So so I, I guess what you're saying is you think this was a mutual parting of ways, right? Between Belichick and Brady. Yeah, I think Bill... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, also Tom Brady is not Tom Brady, you know, from 2007 in the prime of his career. You know, I mean... He also struggled as well. Now he didn't have the right players around him. However, I mean, there was—I uh, mean, in that wild card game, just the last thing I remember is, you know, he had some balls that were fluttering. I mean, he was throwing some ducks, uh, not having that zip outside the numbers. So, yeah, I mean, you could see it from the Patriots' way. If you're if you're a Patriots backer, if you're in Bill's corner, if you're a Patriots fan, listening to this, you could see how, yeah, it's hard to kind of justify, you know, paying. 50 million guaranteed, 60 million guaranteed over the course of two years to a 43-year-old quarterback and thinking at some point, yeah, you do need to start moving on um, somehow. And and it happens to every single person that's been in the Patriots. At some point, you're going to get cut. So, I mean, I think that played a role in it. Um, So you could kind of see it on both sides. And... You know, it wasn't going to, uh, I mean, it was never going to end 
you know, pretty on both sides unless, you know, they would win a Super Bowl and both retire and go off to the sunset. It just was not going to end, you know, happy. Um, over the course of time, you know, time will heal, heal all wounds with Brett Favre being embraced by Packers fans. However, I mean, I think it was more of like a mutual agreement that, you know, maybe it's best if we kind of move on and kind of just remember the memories. Okay, so to make a basketball reference really quickly, people always talk about, you know, who, who, who won the feud between Kobe and Jack? Who ended up getting the better after they both split? Who do you think will end up getting the better? Will it be Bill Belichick or will it be Tom Brady? Who's going to look back at this 10 years from now and be like, you know what? I won. Yeah, there's... So I have, like, three different scenarios, and they all, you know, one's Brady, one's Belichick, one's both. Um... I would have to say, ultimately, ultimately, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Belichick, and I'm gonna go with the culture that they've built. Uh, Bill Belichick, I think, is still one of. Uh, I mean, I think he's the best football coach. I think he's, you know, I've said this with some people, you know, talking, like you on the barber shop. I think he's, you know, one of the best coaches in all of sports ever with John Wooden. So, I mean. Initially, I think Tom Brady's going to have some success because I think the Patriots, I mean, right now, you know, you might want to touch upon it, but I think they got one of the worst quarterback rooms in the NFL. Um, they could repair that with trades or free agency or whatnot, but right now it's not looking good. They got to rebuild that offense. So I think in the short term, Brady might have some success. I, I, I think Brady would have success in the short term as in one or two years, but he only has two or three years left. I think Bill is just so competitive. I mean, he is so competitive. I think eventually he's going to want to kind of have his name out there and be like, well, you know, Bill did some things too. And I think, I mean, he's not going to, uh, Bill Belichick is not going to go down, you know, buttering without Tom Brady and then retiring. I think he's going to build the Patriots back up over the course of two or three years, you know, go back to the playoff, um, you know, who knows, maybe they might win the division this year or next year, too. It makes some noise still. But, I mean, I think ultimately, um, when it's all said and done, I think Bill Belichick would have more long-term success, maybe do it over the next five or six years still, um, and just kind of beat out Tom in, in sheer years that he has left. Now, when you talk about Bill Belichick, you meant you invoked the name, Kenny. John Wooden. You just talk about that comparison because you don't people when people talk about coaching, right, and being a leader of men, being a leader of people. People don't mention John Wooden a lot, so just talk about that comparison a little bit because I find that very interesting. Yeah, so you know, so John Wooden. I mean, you know, eleven titles in a row. Really, like just a complete different level at his time than any other of the competitions that he faced. Uh, at UCLA, I mean, it was really, uh, I mean, like, always, like, over the course of sports, like, I mean, you could always have, like, you know, whoever, whoever you think is best, there's always, like, a strong competitor second, uh, kind of going to, like, the basketball example, like, in the 80s, like, you know, you could say the Celtics or Lakers, but the second team, like, whoever you thought was the best team in that era, you, you know, like, you thought the Lakers were the best, the second best, like, you, you would have to say the Celtics, um, there's always that foil, like that rival. Like John Wooden is really unparalleled in that at his time. Um, 
with everything and building a team and putting it together. And I think Bill Belichick really is going to go down in that because what what he has done over the course of, I mean, you just don't see this. Over 20 years, you win your division 17 out of 20 years. You've been to nine Super Bowls. So almost half of the years that you've been there, you've been to the championship. You've won six of them. I mean, you really can't find that, not only in the NFL, but you really can't find that 20-year, two-decade longevity in sports. And I think it's really impressive in the free agency era, too, with guys going, um, you know, even going back to, like, the 60s and 70s, like, there was no free agency or cap. So, really, if you could build a team, you know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers with the Steel Curtain, you know, they drafted their team, and those guys were never going to leave Pittsburgh. It just really wasn't heard of. And now in the free agency air, like you have guys coming and going, really you got to build your team every single year. It truly is a new season every year. And the Patriots have had a lot of turnover, and every year, no matter what you want to say, injuries, you lose Randy Moss, um, you know, going to two tight ends and going to a full spread, and then uh, going more like running back in I formation with the Patriots and one of their Super Bowl airs when they played the Falcons. Just the way to adapt over time with all of that, and no matter how you look at it, no matter what they do, every year twelve and four, thirteen and three, first round by AFC title game, Super Bowl, and that's just something like I just don't think you could see that. You know, having almost half half your tenure in one place, going to the championship every year. So when people always talk about you know who made who. It sounds like you're leaning on more of the side that Belichick's the one that made Brady, not the other way around. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, ultimately, you know, ultimately, it's kind of, I mean, I guess we'll find out who had more now since they're not together, but they both contributed a lot, you know. So, so on one instance, yeah, I mean, I give a little bit more credit to Belichick because He's built the infrastructure and the program, not just with Brady, but with all 53 guys. And he did, and he did develop a six-round quarterback into the best quarterback ever. Now, Tom Brady also covered up a lot of things. And, you know, Bill Belichick has struggled, whether it be, I mean, you look at the first-round draft picks. They, they've not always hit on first-round draft picks. So Belichick has a really poor hit rate on wide receivers. I look at a guy like a Brandon Tate out of Florida, they drafted him with a boss. I mean, so so Tom Brady, really, other than Moss, has never had a really solid outside wide receiver. Yes, he had a slot receiver with Edelman, but, no, but never really a strong outside wide, wide receiver. They do it a multitude of ways. So Brady gets credit for, for that, too. And Brady gets credit for being so sharp and never really falling off. I mean, he's had some of the best statistical years of his career after the, the age of 40. He's kind of peaked twice. So they both had success, but ultimately I'm going to lean with Belichick because he, he's built that program. He's built the culture, the infrastructure. Everyone buys in always. So I'm going to give a little bit edge to the system over the player here. Now, I, I kind of want to shift to some uh, shift to some other free agency news. Cam Newton got released. And, you know, you're a guy. You know you follow scouting. You follow college football and all this stuff. And it's really crazy to think, right? A decade ago, Cam Newton was at Auburn, and then about five years later, he was the MVP of the league, the running quarterback. Uh, it was Cam's time. They lose the Broncos, and now five years later, 
he's getting cut so the Panthers can sign Teddy Bridgewater, who was a backup last year. Just kind of talk about the evolution of Cam and how you're kind of surprised it kind of ended in Carolina. Yeah, so, I mean, so really what it comes, so so what it comes down to with Cam Newton is, you know, just, you know, taking a lot of tips over time, you know, whether it be in the pocket, running the ball, which he's just as big, if not bigger than linebackers right now, um, taking a lot of tips. So he's really ended the year banged up a lot. So in 2018, um, he started off the first eight games better statistically than the first eight games in 2015 when he won the MVP. That was just about 16 months ago. And the Panthers started off pretty hot in 2018. And then Cam's right shoulder really, you know, he, he, he ultimately needed surgery on it. But he was playing through that. And... You know, if you remember, I think they had that loss to Pittsburgh. Like, they lost to Pittsburgh on a Thursday night, like 52-3 to or 52-10 to or something like that. And it really started about, you know, I think about six, seven straight losses in a row to miss the playoffs. And then he came into to this past year, and he got injured early on with his foot now. So, um, you know, obviously that's the reason why they went 5-11 and 11, is, the, you know, you lose the starting quarterback. But I think right now Cam is, you know, the way he plays, he's just beat up right now. Um, He's just like, uh, I mean, like in a similar regard to a number one pick is like Andrew Luck. Like, ultimately, like, like I I had no issue with Andrew Luck retiring because Andrew Luck was just beat up. He just had gruesome injuries, bad injuries. He just beat up. Cam Newton's just beat up right now. But if Cam Newton gets healthy, you know, 80% of Cam, 89% you know, 90% of Cam to his peak, you know, you could still win games like that in the NFL. But, I mean, I think he has to get healthy and then stay healthy. And now he's going to be 30 years old, taking a lot of hits. I'm not sure if he could do that and stay healthy. So here's my question to you. When you invoke the name Andrew Luck, to me, that means that it's not looking good for Cam Newton because we all know Andrew Luck suddenly retired at the beginning of uh, this year. And if Cam Newton's taking that type of punishment, and we know Cam Newton's more of a running quarterback than Andrew Luck is, and that's kind of what makes Cam special. If what makes him special is going to lead to his detriment, then how does a team win, and how do they balance that, and how can he stay in the league? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, uh, so so I'm not sure there's a lot of suitors out there for Cam Newton. I mean, there's 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 very few at this stage. Um but what you would have to do is you would really have to change the way kind of you kind of the way you play your offense with Cam. So you can no longer really do QB runs, QB powers. Um, you would really have to fit your game plan with Cam is, you know, building your offensive line and having him get the ball out quickly to avoid those hits. Because when Cam Newton is on, I mean – He's got a live arm. He could still throw it even after his surgery. And, you know, you can win games like that. And he's a plus quarterback when healthy, um, you know, like at the start of the season when he hasn't been, you know, pounded on. Um, you can win like that. But it's going to be hard. I mean, I, I, 
I'm not sure where he goes, but but I, I, I will say this about Camus. I think he could start in the league still. I think he could win games with him if you have a strong offensive line and make a conscious effort that, you know, you're not going to have designed runs with him and you're going to have to have him get the ball out of the hands quickly to avoid those hits. So, you know, having, you know, throwing quick screens to, to wide receivers and running backs like that. Um, because if he kind of plays the way he's currently constructed, now at the age of 30, I just see how, I, I, I just have a hard time seeing how he's not going to get hurt. So what would your prediction be for Cam? Where do you think he will play next? Yeah, so so there's three so really there's three um, there's three teams that are in the verge of looking for a quarterback and two of them might be taking a quarterback in the draft. So so like the three teams right now that still need a quarterback or could see where Cam goes is New England, the Redskins, and the Chargers. So I just don't see how he's going to go to New England. Uh, I don't think they would have the cap space either. They only have about four mil, million cap space, so they have to change things around. Um, I think the Chargers. So, so I think he should go to the Chargers because, you know, right now currently constructed, the Chargers have Austin Eckler, a running back, like I just said, he could catch the ball out of the backfield. Hunter Henry. They got two good receivers on the outside. They just got uh, Brian Booth. Brian Bulaga and uh, Trey Turner. They really good with um, just a lot of stars like Bosa, Duran James, and Ingram. Um, so that team is set up if they get a quarterback to win. And and you could still get Cam on one year and take a quarterback, whoever it might be at pick seven, like whether it be Herbert. Um, I think that's a likely one. You know, two of he slips for some reason. You could still take a quarterback, play Cam Newton this year with that team, and win – and then you could turn it over to the rookie in 2021. So I think that's the best landing spot for him. Um, the other one is I'm not sure what's going on with the Redskins. So, you know, are they going to make the decision and are they going to go forward with Haskins? Are they going to take Tua and start him? Or is he going to go back or, and, and coach Ron Rivera, who he had at Carolina, would they kick the tires on Cam Newton and bring him in to win immediately, you know, and and keep grooming Haskins? So I'm not sure what the Redskins are going to do, um, but I think the best landing spot for Cam would be the Chargers, though. Now I want to go to another quarterback that is not signed yet and who has a lot of talent, Jameis Winston. Uh, Tom Brady goes to Tampa. Jameis Winston is on the outs. Uh, Jameis Winston's been really maligned for his career for making immature decisions. He's criticized also for on the field making immature decisions as well. He turns the ball over a lot. Where is there a place in the NFL for Jameis Winston, and is it possible that he could just end up being a backup? Yeah, I think the, I mean, I think that's the best spot or, or the best landing spot for him as a backup. I think, you know, we talked about it last time is, there was a surplus of veteran QBs on the market and not enough teams looking for a, core, a, a veteran QB. And ultimately, the musical chairs are going to stop and someone's going to be left with no chair. Someone's going to be left holding the back. And, you know, we're kind of down. So, so like, you got Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, and if Andy Dalton gets traded. There's about, you know, 
the Redskins, the Patriots, and the Chargers are the only teams that I could see bringing in a guy, one of those three to start. And maybe, and, and I think one of them might just, you know, play Tyrod Taylor and go with a, a rookie QB or just play with Haskins and see what you got. So someone's going to be left with nothing and going to have to take a backup spot. Ultimately, I think that's Jameis Winston. I don't think, I mean, I think uh, it's kind of surprising that a former number one pick, a guy that did throw for 30 touchdowns, is not going to have a starting job. But, um, you know, some teams could do it. But I, I don't see Jameis Winston landing a starting spot. I think, you know, he'd be best suited as a backup for one year, you know, and uh, see what happens in 2021. You know, a potential spot maybe is take a backup job Pittsburgh, you know, play one or two more years with Ben Roethlisberger, and then you got Jameis Winston on the bench ready to go. Almost like how Teddy Bridgewater kind of sat behind Drew Brees, and that kind of turned him into a starting spot. He filled in for Drew Brees and went 5-0. Ultimately, that, that, that landed him a starting spot in the NFL. I think that could be something with Jameis Winston, but um, I think the musical chairs are going to stop. Very soon, I think Jameis Winston could be left being a backup somewhere. Do you think, and here's the thing, right? Sometimes the only thing you need to know is about how somebody feels about you is what they don't do. The people that have the most intimate knowledge about Jameis Winston were the people in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, Bruce Arians. You didn't see, and for a guy, and you just mentioned, he threw 30 touchdowns. He was a former number one overall pick. We know how much talent Jameis Winston has, and Bruce Arians, I know he's getting Tom Brady, but Bruce Arians like, you know what? We'll take a 42, 43-year-old guy <laughs> over Jameis. As good as Tom Brady might be and as much better as Tom Brady is than Jameis Winston, that's not a good message. And then you look at the rest of the league, and you're saying he's going to be the guy left holding the bag. So what does this say about how everybody feels about Jameis? Well, all you have to do is take a look at what the Bucs did. So, so ultimately, so, so look, so, you know, when you move on from a quarterback, you move on because he has faults and you take the guy that was almost the opposite of him. Example. Yeah, the Chiefs won games with Alex Smith. The criticism on Alex Smith is he wasn't dynamic enough. He didn't make enough plays down the field. Who did they bring in? A guy that's dynamic and makes plays down the field, and Patrick Mahomes. The two guys that the Bucks were looking at, and this is, and, and this, and this is exactly what, what you said and what they need, is, is all you have to do is look at what the person knows most about you doesn't do is the Bucks were looking at Tom Brady and if Tom Brady didn't go to the Bucks, uh, Bruce Arians said on the Dan Patrick show that they were looking at the backup being Teddy Bridgewater, that they would make a play for Teddy Bridgewater to be the quarterback in Tampa. So what do those two guys do that Jameis Winston doesn't? Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have a strong arm, makes really good decisions. Tom Brady is not mobile makes really good decisions. That's the opposite of Jameis Winston. Yeah, Jameis Winston could extend plays. He's got a big arm. Teddy Bridgewater does not. He does not make good decisions. Both Teddy Bridgewater and Tom Brady make good decisions. They're, they're good decision makers. That's a, a pro of their game. And, you know, both are not that mobile. Jameis can make plays out of the pocket. Completely opposite. So my point being is that the two guys that the Bucks. That could be another land, a landing spot, too, is if you put Jameis Winston on that team, you know, he could do what Rivers did in 2018, and they can make the playoffs, too. 
But ultimately, though, to answer your question, I think Jameis Winston is going to take a backup job somewhere. Now, Kenny, what I do want to ask you is this. What was your biggest takeaway from NFL free agency the entire week? Yeah, so the biggest so so the biggest takeaway I have, I guess, is um, I'm a really big fan about what the Buffalo Bills did with bringing in Stephon Diggs. Love to so hear it. The Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills. You know, I wouldn't say. I mean, you're never truly one player away from making the Super Bowl, but that was kind of the missing a big piece. You know, the big piece with the Bills is they need a number one receiver. You know, I like their receivers a lot. I like Beasley. I like John Brown. Um, but they need a number one receiver. They need a guy to get the defense, uh, the defense's attention. They need a guy to win. When it's third and sixth in that playoff game, Josh Allen needs to know, okay, I'm going to Stephon Diggs now. And bringing in Stephon Diggs, a number one receiver, runs great routes. He's going to get open for Josh Allen. He's going to be their number one target. I think that was a huge move. and Because we talked about, too, the Buffalo Bills could have been in the wide receiver market at pick 22. Now they went with Stephon Diggs. I mean, they felt um, Stephon Diggs would get more of an impact than a rookie right now. So you have the Buffalo Bills um, really with a complete roster, a quarterback, and a rookie deal. Um, I was really impressed with, with, with what they did. Um, so I thought that they would push the Patriots. And with Tom Brady leaving, I think that pushes the Buffalo Bills to the in the AFC East. Um, and maybe behind the Chiefs and the Ravens as the third best team in the AFC East also. That was a big takeaway for me. Do you think part of it too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, I was going to say, do you think part of it too with the, the move the Bills made? Because it's really interesting. And they decided to make that move because obviously... Right now, Stephon Diggs will be better in all likelihood than a Justin Jefferson from LSU or a T. Higgins from Clemson. Or, or hell, maybe it'll be better than C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy year one. I, I don't know. But but we've seen uh, Diggs do it on this level, which we can't say for any of the receivers coming up. Do you think part of it's kind of like McDermott, the Bills organization, that they, they kind of smell blood in the water? Brady's out of New England. Uh, New England's kind of in disarray right now. Miami's still rebuilding. Nobody has faith in the Jets, and they're like, we can win the AFC East this year. Like, we can go on a run. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if Tom Brady returned to the Patriots, um, I got some Bills fans I know. I said, even if Tom Brady were to return to the Patriots, the gap between the Patriots and the Bills have never been closer. So now with getting to Von Diggs, losing Tom Brady, I think losing Tom Brady moves the Bills regardless into the number one spot in the AFC East. And getting Stephon Diggs just icing on the cake. There also is blood in the water because you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And that's the biggest market inefficiency in the NFL is when you could build a team around a rookie quarterback on his rookie contract and you know, he's playing he's playing above average football. Uh, that's what you know Chiefs did. That's what the Eagles did when they won the Super Bowl is, you know, having this quarterback at a below-market-value price and giving him a lot of weapons, building the line, building the defense, that's really right now the name of the game in the NFL. Um, 
So I think that's something that the Bills see too. Is is they see a guy named Josh Allen. Josh Allen had the arrow pointing up from year one to year two. He had a really good year year two. I think he's going to keep getting better. And you know they made the playoffs with him in year two. So I think they could see you know let's give him digs now. We have a lot of weapons. We got. I think one of the two best defenses in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. We got all the key cogs coming back from that. Let's make a run and see what happens. And if you take a look at the AFC landscape, too, I mean, other than the Chiefs and the Ravens, there's no clear third team. So, you know, the pecking order is open, not only to win the division, but to make some noise. So I think the Buffalo Bills have a really good chance not only to win the division, but to win a playoff game next year. That would be great. Uh, now, since you asked yeah. me about my hometown team, I'm going to ask you about your hometown team. The Cleveland Browns, they signed Austin Hooper. Some people criticize the move because Austin Hooper is not known as a blocking tight end. Really, their issues were uh, protecting Baker Mayfield uh, in the offensive line in general. And they didn't. People talk about how they didn't, I guess, allocate enough resources to that position. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think Cleveland's gone too much into receiving weapons for Baker and not enough of meat and potatoes of your football team. We need to protect our young franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, so so you need to give him some weapons. Um, just what I just said about the Bills is having a rookie court QB on his rookie deal. Build the team around him. Give him a lot of good weapons. Um, he has that, but you know the thing that the Browns were missing is they did not have. Um, they didn't allocate the resources to the offensive line yet. And I was a big fan of general manager John, John Dorsey before he was let go. John Dorsey took over a mess. They were 1-31 over two years, worst two-year span in NFL history. He took over a mess. I mean, that was a three-year project to fix the Cleveland Browns. So he didn't get to the offensive line yet. But this was the biggest need on the team, I thought, is they needed a left tackle, and they needed a right tackle, too. And those were two of the top three needs that I had for them. Um, so what they did in bringing in Jack Conklin, I love this move because Jack Conklin is one of the best run-blocking right tackles in the league. He was the top right tackle in the market. And the Cleveland Browns went out on day one, and they got Jack Conklin. Locks down the right side of the offensive line. I think they need to take a tackle at 10, a uh, good tackle class, put him at left tackle, now you got the tackle situation figured out. You got a pro bowler at left guard. You got a plus player at center. Now you got an offensive line. And and the Cleveland Browns with Kevin Stefanski wanted to run the football. You know, Kevin Stefanski wanted to have about a 50-50 split last year with Minnesota. Um, so now you have that line with Nick Chubb, second leading rush in the NFL. I really like this move with, 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 with Austin Hooper. Kevin Stefanski runs two tight ends. The most in the NFL last, uh, last year, 56% of the time. Now you got first round pick David Njoku and Austin Hooper at tight end. That's a pretty good two tight end set, that 12 per- personnel grouping. Um, so, you know, they could have that seven man line of block. This could be hard for linebackers to match up with those two tight ends. So I think that causes, you know, I think that causes the defense some, some concern. Um, and then Austin Hooper. Yes, he did have the, uh, the biggest tight end signing in NFL history. However, tight end is a depressed market. The number one t- tight end, I think, is uh, Kelsey. 
he gets paid about $10 million a year. So that's not a lot either. So Austin Hooper getting paid $11.5 million a year, that's the highest paid tight end in NFL history. However, that's not a, you know, relative to a team, that's not a big contract to take on. So they did a good job with that too. So I really like those two moves that they made. And now this is interesting, right? When we talk about that quarterback class, I believe, was that the 2017 quarterback class with Baker, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold? 2017? Yeah. So the 2017 yeah. class, right? Lamar has no... I mean, actually, you know what? Lamar does have pressure, right? Struggled his first two playoff games in the uh, wildcard round his rookie year, divisional round his second year. Can Lamar get it done? I, I think there's questions and there's pressure surrounding Lamar. You have Josh Allen. The Bills, they're loading up. Tom Brady's out the AFC East. Baker Mayfield. People have been calling the Browns the, the kind of the team of destiny, right? They have all this talent. Can they get it together, right? Nobody expects anything of Josh Rosen. Uh, Sam Darnold's in a moribund situation with Adam Gase and the Jets. So really all those three guys have pressure on them. Which one do you think has the most pressure on them coming up this next football season? Yeah, the most pressure, I mean, the most pressure, um, the most pressure I think still, um, I'm going to say Josh Allen because Josh Allen has, so, so Lamar just won the MVP. So, so he gets a little bit of a, a pass for two years maybe. Um, but I think Josh Allen has the most pressure on him because, you know, he has a team now that can make some serious noise in the AFC. And I think a lot of football guys will be expecting the Bills to make a lot of noise. Um, you know, winning the division. Um, the Browns won't be expected to win the division this year. Um, maybe not even second, but uh, behind the Steelers. So I think Josh Allen, you know, having a team that is expected to win, expected to win the division now, everything around it, um, you know, if he falters, I think you could see some fingers being point, pointed at him, um, especially with his deep ball accuracy if it doesn't improve. You could see some people saying, okay, you know, we got this guy, Stephon Diggs, that can run deep routes. We can't get a quarterback to get him the ball. Um, so, you know, if, if if he does, you know, falter, you could see some pressure being on, Jeff, uh, on Josh, Josh Allen saying, okay, after year three, is he worthy of that second contract? Is he really the guy going forward? I think a little bit has happened um, with Baker Mayfield like that in year two. I think a lot of people had a lot of hype for the Browns last, last year. And, you know, for various reasons, Baker Mayfield struggled compared to year one. Um, so now the pressure's off him a little bit. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of have lower expectations and over-deliver. Um, so he has lower expectations relative to Josh Allen. Um, and then Lamar, I think Lamar gets a little bit of a pass because he won the MVP. But I agree with you. He's 0-2 in the playoffs. He's played terrible in both those playoff games. I think there are some questions about uh, Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's all that. Um, I think we've got to pump the brakes a little bit. So I think, you know, I think more of the pressure out of those three would be on Josh Allen, though, at number one. Oh, no, okay. That was a lot of free agency talk and uh, uh, a lot of uh, offseason talk. Uh, still quickly, though, I do want to get to the draft a little bit while we still have some time. Let's start with the offensive line for you, Kenny, because I, I think that's where we're going to start and see where we can go from there. Uh, just give me, like, your overall perspective of the offensive line class. Yeah. 
so I think there's so there's there's uh there's really three sections of it, and it's pretty it's pretty cut cut and dry, I think. So this offensive tackle class, forgot to mention this on the combine recap, but this offensive ta- tackle class is one of the best I've seen. I've been really looking at this draft for about, you know, I've been doing this about 11, 12, 12 years. This is one of the best tackle classes that I've seen. And there's four guys at the top. Now, there's not really a consensus on who's the best one, but I think there is a consensus on who the top four are. And I could see four offensive tackles going within the first 15 picks, first 14 picks. Um, so those tackles, and we'll get into them, is Jedrick Will, tackle for Alabama, Christian Worth of Iowa, the behemoth, Makai Becton of Louisville, and Andrew Thomas. Those are the clear top four offensive tackles. I think all four go in the top 15, and I think all four are going to be pretty, pretty solid players. I don't see a lot of plus there. Then there's a drop-off into a second tier of a tackle class. It's promising, but there is some questions with each of them, though. But, you know, you can find some starters there. So that's the second takeaway is that second tier of tackles. The third takeaway is this is a really weak interior line class. So the guards and tackles. I only see one interior guy going in the first round. Um, Overall, though, it's, it's pretty underwhelming. Um, at the interior offensive line. I like one of the guys, the, uh, the kid from Temple, Matt Hennessy, um, and I like the center for Michigan, Caesar Ruiz, but overall, I mean, if you're looking for an interior lineman in, this, in, in your team, I think you should have addressed it in free agency because it's not a strong interior offensive line class. Who's the top offensive tackle for you? You mentioned... Uh... Willis, Thomas, Wirtz, who's the guy for you? Uh, yeah, so, um, that's a tackle one, and I'm beginning to hone on, uh, I'm beginning to hone in on this now, also because my, my team, the Cleveland Browns, were in desperate need of another tackle. Every single mock draft since the start of time because the Browns taking a tackle, so I've looked at this class pretty closely. My top offensive tackle is Christian Work. This was five, 326 pounds out of Iowa. Three-year starter. U.S. Army All-American. I could play left tackle, right tackle. 99th percentile athlete at tackle, Daryl. This guy set the record for vertical jump among tackles at the combine. 36 inches. Mm. That's better than Amari Cooper. That's better than... C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Not to mention, this guy's about 150 pounds bigger than Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. Really good athlete, wrestled in high school, tied the record for vertical for, for a broad jump at the combine. I see a guy that's really good in in a zone blocking scheme. Get to the next level, athletic in space. He can move. He's a natural knee bender. To me, Tristan Worth, especially with that pedigree at Iowa with Kurt Farron, I think he's the top offensive tackle for me. I'm beginning to hone in on Tristan Works as my top tackle in this draft. Now, how do you feel about uh, the other tackles, Andrew Thomas, Jared Wills? How do you feel about those guys? Yeah, so right now i got to do a little bit more work, but my I kind of have a tie for two and three. 
So everyone, so so like we talked about, those four, the top four tackles, everyone kind of, you know, depending on what you like, is going to have a different consensus. Um, so right now I got a tie for second. I'm kind of flip-flopping between Jedrick Wills and Mackay Becton as two and three. So I like Jedrick Wills. I think Jedrick Wills would be, out of those four, the, the best to come in on day one and be the best guy on day one, right off the bat. Really polished, great technique, played right tackle, two was blindside. Uh, never played left tackle, so there's a little bit of a a little bit of an uncertainty if he can make the move to left tackle. There is some footwork and just the way you move and stuff like that. It's not as easy as just flip-flopping from right to left. So there is a concern if he can move to left and be functional there. I think he can. Um, nasty run blocker. Doesn't play nice with others in tight quarters. I like that. Um, and then Mackay Becton. So, so, so Mackay Becton is my third guy for uh, 2B, I would say. Um, Daryl, this guy is six foot seven, 370 pounds. He is a mountain of a man. It is just going to be hard for a defensive end to just get around the guy to get to the quarterback. I mean, we talk about how defensive linemen to come off the edge, flatten to the quarterback. It's going to be hard. I mean, if you just take a look, uh, I mean, he's a man and a half. I mean, this guy's played 364. Really good athlete, too. He ran a 5-1-1 at the combine. Oh, okay. That's really good for his size. Did, did you just say 6-7-3-70? Really did you say 6-7-3-70? His official message. His official combine measurement was six foot seven, three hundred and sixty-four pounds. Oh Lord, have mercy. Okay, okay. Keep, keep, keep going, so Kenny. He reminds me like a bright. So, so he reminds me like if you remember, like in the early two thousand, Bryant McKinney was an offensive tackle from the U, went to the Minnesota Vikings. Just a guy that big, it's, and 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 he played in a zone blocking team at Louisville. He could get out and move in space too. Um. Just those measurables like that and the length is really enticing. So he's, he's my uh, 2B. Um, Andrew Thomas is the fourth guy, too. He's my fourth tackle, Andrew Thomas. Um, so the thing about him is he's really steady, too. He's a good football player, too. He'll be a top 15 pick. Um, he's more of a power guy in the run game, so he's not really a zone scheme fit. He's more of a gap man scheme fit, just knocking the guy off the ball. Pretty good pass protector too. He's 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 polished. He's polished. Um, sometimes he does get on the ground a little bit too much though. Um, so this would be you're thinking if you get him, he's gonna be a plus pass protector. Played left tackle for three years at Georgia, and he's a power power run game player too. Not really a zone blocking guy. So a little bit of a scheme fit. Uh, so he's my fourth guy too, but. Overall, really strong tackle class at the top. Who do you think will end up being the best out of all four of those guys? Yeah, I'm going to say Tristan Wirfs overall. Um, So Tristan Wirfs, I could see him being a guy like a, kind of like the success that uh, Lane Johnson had and Frank Williams of the Redskins, just being really good athletes at tackle. So they could take on what I think is always pound for pound the best athletes on the football field, those edge rushers, you know, going athletic to athletic with them. 
really athletic player. We talked about his combine. Uh, the move in the run game, move guys off the ball, get to the second level, stays healthy. Overall, um, adding some this further NFL coaching and development, I think Tristan Wirfs is um, going to be the best one of the bunch, I would say. But I'm really appealed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated with Makai Becton, too. And like you said, the interior class is less is uh leaves a lot to be desired for you. Yeah, I mean, I think Caesar Caesar Ruiz, the um the center for Michigan. Uh, there's a center for LSU too. I think those guys have a chance to come in and start in year one. Um, and then I like the guard for Temple, Matt Hennessy. I like Jonah Jackson of Ohio State, too, as a guard. He's a pretty po- polished player. Played at Rutgers for four years, and then he was a grad tra- transfer last year. Did a good job at Ohio State. Other than that, though, I mean, you're going to have to develop a guy to be a pro bowler, so, um, and even develop a guy to be a starter in year one. So I'm kind of, kind of looking at a developmental project across the board with all these guys. So, yeah, I mean, I would say of all the positions in the draft, interior line would be the weakest of all of them. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. We got a lot of good football talking. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there was a lot to talk about with the um, with free agency. So, you know, I guess we could finally settle the debate of Belichick or Brady um, and kind of seeing how these free agent moves went, like, you know, we didn't talk talk about it, but New Hopkins to Arizona now with Kyler Murray and Cliff King, Kingsbury, Austin Hooper to Cleveland, um, all those moves. So see how that moves the needle with those teams. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good time as always. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the podcast. Uh that's about it for the show. Again, I want to caution everybody, stay safe from the coronavirus, social distancing. You know, don't do anything crazy. Don't spread the disease. Uh, we know that's going on, and that's kind of taken away a fabric for society and really sports, so it's kind of hard not to talk about it. I think I've talked about it in my own little way in every other podcast since this all went down and I've been out of school, and I've been doing this back home in Buffalo, New York. So everybody, stay safe. Have a happy and blessed day, and thank you for tuning into this episode, the 142nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. I gotta try harder.